what is the final episode of our Outside In Sunday sessions. I'm your host, Becky Downing, and though we are saying a very sad farewell to our listeners today, we have got a corker of a lineup to cheer you up and go out with a bang. We've got an interview with the lovely artistic director of Red Ladder Theatre Company, Rod Dixon. Not one, not two, but three brand spanking new pieces of work to share with you today, including a short scene from an absurdist comedy imagining the future of retail post-Covid by Jack Ward, a cinematic dreamscape by At Swefen's Edge, and a brand new nature poem written for the podcast by Andrew Brown. And of course, positivity guru Amelia Glyden herself. Stay tuned. I'm joined today by our final ever interviewee on Outside In Sunday Sessions, none other than the artistic director of Red Ladder Theatre Company in Leeds, Rod Dixon. Thanks for taking the time once again, Rod, to join us today. No problem. Uh, So I'm just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the history of Red Ladder and how you came to be involved as artistic director. Yeah, well, Red Ladder were formed in 1968, first of all in London. They were a group of socialist theatre makers who wanted to take theatre to um, like pickets and uh, industrial disputes and make work for the working class. And then they moved out of London in 19, early 1970s. They decided to go to, to Leeds. And it's really funny, in our archive, we've got some old notebooks. And in the notebooks uh, are, are the minutes of meetings. And they're, oh, wow. <laughs> they they, they want to go to the provinces. I thought it was really funny. But, oh, wow. Um, so they've been in Leeds since the early 70s. And I joined the mm. company in 2006. I'd been working down in the southwest. I just saw the application and thought, oh, I didn't even know they were still going. Yeah. Like, like a lot of radical companies, like 784 and, and Belts and Braces and those kind mm. of companies, I thought they'd gone, but they, they, they'd been working in youth clubs for, for about 20 years. Mm. Um, I didn't really want to make theatre for teenagers. Not got nothing against teenagers. I yeah. just want to make theatre for everybody, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so but the first thing I decided to do was to move the, the work back to its kind of working class roots to mm. taking it to pubs and, and working men's clubs and um, places like that. Yeah. Making work that was for people generally, really. And trying to put the politics back in it, but without it being too polemic or finger-wagging, just entertaining. Yeah. Kind of like um, social engagement without the, the preachiness, uh, I suppose. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's really hard, that, because you're trying to make work which is about struggle and explain that the struggle isn't the fault of the people who are struggling. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, like we were commissioned by um, Unite the Union to make a piece about the miners' strike. Boff um, from Chumbawamba, we work with Boff a lot. He's a really good writer, and he said I didn't want to make a piece of work about pickets and miners because that's been done before. So we made a piece of work about the women because it was the women that kept the strike yeah. really strong. But they told us, "Oh, you're not allowed to mention Arthur Scargill." And we're like, "You can't make a piece of piece <laughs> about the miners' strike and not mention Arthur Scargill." <laughs> so we put a joke in about him put a couple of jokes about him in there and we got away with it but but even that piece of work we're trying not to make it too preachy but you had to take a side I mean yeah we couldn't make a piece of piece of face like that and say it wasn't really anybody's fault it was totally Thatcher's fault yeah (laughs) you know you you have to take a side as well so it's it's a delicate one it's quite difficult could you tell us a little bit more about your your recent work well the, the the piece of work that we had just made when the pandemic started and it had just done a week of its tour was a a one-woman show called Smile Club 
and it was written and performed by um, Andrea Heaton, who's a, a local performer and writer. She and another writer wrote this piece in response to everyday sexism about a, a true story, a friend of hers, who every time she went through the barrier in, in the station, the bloke said, give us a smile, uh, oh, oh yeah. you look lovely today, and all this kind of stuff, which is, you know, unwanted sexual attention really yeah it's that gaze isn't it yeah yeah so we decided to make this sort of black mirror style piece about an institution called the smile club where women who are unruly are sent to be re-educated so uh, the character ends up in this place called smile club and it's a government sponsored sort of institution but also husbands can send their wives there and (laughs) it it, it was it was really dark and very funny and really powerful is that the kind of thing that you're using your time for now are you sort of looking at how to pick these projects back up after the pandemic because a lot of our performers are based in Leeds Mm. um we could probably put together maybe four pieces of work that we've got all the set and designs and everything ready and if the actors knew in advance we might be able to put them out all four pieces out as soon as the theatre's open again or, or public spaces open again so we're kind of looking at it that way that if the theatre's open they won't have anything to put on their stages because they want to be able to rehearse anything yeah but we course. might be able to get something ready within a couple of weeks so we're kind of looking at that and we, we have a circuit which we've set up of social clubs, rugby league clubs, um, sports centres, things like that, that we take work to. Uh, it's all in the sort of Wakefield, Barnsley, Leeds area. Mm. And so sort of pretty deprived areas like Gipton and East Leeds where there's nothing, mm. but they've got an old working men's club. I don't know how it stays open, to be honest. <laughs> and there's got a big space upstairs. So we, we, we can take stuff. I mean, they don't, they don't make any money, those, those gigs, because obviously people mm. have no money, so it's two quid a ticket and a baked potato and a pint, you know, and so yeah. it doesn't cover any yeah. costs. But, <laughs> but, it, but it means if they gradually lift the lockdown and have, like, small groups of people, like 50 or 60 people being able to gather, then yeah. we could send stuff out fairly quickly. It is one of those funny times, isn't it, where you have to kind of follow everything you say up with in theory or hypothetically yeah. at the moment because you're sort yeah. of constantly trying to think outside the box about your reach and stuff. I mean, that's great that you guys have got that sort of template yeah. to plan around and you've got that sort of a plan in place, I suppose, which is exciting. And I, and I think, honestly, I I mean, I know I definitely will. Surely I'm, I'm going to need like a serious dose of going to the theatre and seeing things I think it will be that real guns blazing like get everybody out well hopefully anyway I mean you never know do you yeah I mean I mean I I just want Liverpool to win the league (laughs) I know I know honestly I can't I can't even talk about it it's so sad I know I I listened to the Anfield rap and uh, Ben Johnson on there was Mm. months ago saying he, he was really worried about the the coronavirus, you know, ruining our chances of winning the league. And everybody on the podcast laughs their heads off. And it's like, <laughs> he's totally right, unfortunately. <laughs> so I anyway, know. We, we've one, got yeah. a writer called Chris O'Connor, who's just written some short sketches, like a bit like the Likely Lads, mm. a plasterer and a, an electrician. And they just sit and have a pint. And so they're doing it on Zoom and they're <laughs> recording it as a podcast. And it's, it's going to go right through the beginning of the pandemic and then the lockdown and all the rest of it. It's really funny, but... Oh. It's also quite touching as well about how hard it is to remain connected and how hard it is for men particularly because yeah you know they're not they're not good at being connected at the best of times with their emotions mm. and they need a pint and stuff like that. I mean it's generalization I know but but you know it is a sort mm. of macho thing that, that we're struggling yeah. with I see blokes walking around where I live in the Pennines without masks and all that 
Mm. trying to look tough and you go what are you doing yeah <laughs> you know, it's, it's the virus you can't yeah you, know, you can't, you can't punch it out yeah I, l- I love that idea though because i mean it's almost like a waiting for godo sort of virtual well waiting for the end of the pandemic i suppose and and yeah i think yeah. what you're saying about that male interaction i mean it might be coming from a place of of stereotype but it is hugely ingrained there is that lack of sort of um ease with intimacy and openness and things just because you know you you're told you know grow, growing up especially working class backgrounds you're told all your life get on with it chin up get yeah. over it and and actually like in a time like now where a lot of the time a lot of people are losing work and, and a lot of free time on the hands and they they sort of are sitting with their thoughts you know and and it can be a really dangerous place to be on your own it can be um yeah can definitely be very yeah, I, mean, I don't know not really getting much in the way of news but i mean i think the lockdown is particularly tough for i mean I, i'm quite fortunate in that i do live in a little country town the pennines mm. so i can get the dog out and get on the moors but yeah you know if you're living in inner cities it must be really tough at the moment yeah. especially if you've got kids it must be really hard have you found any specific ways you've been able to work through the days of the crisis well as a company we're mm. just ticking along really i mean let's say we've, we've got this podcast series that we're, mm. we're making i'm furloughed so i can't actually do any official work for red ladder but i'm yeah. there's a, a guy who we know who he's a natural actor he's not a trained actor he's a scouser as it turns out and he's got quite a lot of alcohol problems mm. but um so this writer and, and me have been basically zooming with this guy and, and writing a, a one-man show called the first scouser in space we're going to call it <laughs> and it's basically about a, a bloke who dreams of being an astronaut and he, he studies astrophysics, but he's from, he's from Speak. It's keeping him sane. He, he, he looks forward to yeah. his next episode that he's, and he's trying to get it off book and I'm helping him rehearse it. So I'm personally doing that. I just think it's quite fun, I suppose, for him as well. Yeah. And because he's learned how to use Zoom, he now can get onto his AA meetings 24-7 like all over the world. He can, he can do a meeting in the oh, middle wow. of the night in Australia if he wants to. So it's actually really weirdly the the pandemic has been maybe not a good (laughs) thing but it's certainly helped him a lot so yeah i'm doing that at the moment so yeah it is a bit weird because we're um planning quite an exciting project with liverpool royal court this time Mm. next year yeah it's quite a big one but we can't really do much about it apart from our zoom meetings and sort of talk about it but we're we're hopefully that will take place this time next year but it hasn't been written yet (laughs) (laughs) basically based in Liverpool so it needs needs a lot of research in Liverpool and mm. I'm quite excited about it because I, I haven't made a piece of work about my hometown since well god knows when years and years mm. so I'm really excited about it but it's kind of like just happening really slowly at the moment just on zoom yeah so. it's it's so hard isn't it because you especially when you have an idea like that as well I suppose from from a very selfish creative point of view you're sort of chomping at the bit to get going with it as well aren't you and you're, yes. you're in the Pennines but it's set in Liverpool and you you kind of want to be in that atmosphere and doing that research talking to those people and it's that form the work so it's really hard to it, when you're not you know in the room or in the space to kind of have that interrogation of it in the same way um, I'm also I'm also kind of like I have this kind of it's a working class thing, I suppose, but I'm I'm also a bit embarrassed about being a, you know, yeah. a theatre maker. <laughs> you know, we were, no. we were like, I want to talk about this piece of theatre we're going to make. And it's yeah. like, oh, people have got enough on their plates without talking about... Oh, <laughs> my word, yeah. 
Oh no, but it is a thing. Yeah, it's a story about struggling. It's a story about a fantastic community that we want to make this piece, which is kind of respectful and, and hopefully makes them feel good about themselves as well. Mm. But still feels weird going. I'm, I'm making a piece of theatre. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it, I've been it's... doing it. I've been doing this job for years, but I'm still a bit <laughs> embarrassed about it. <laughs> no, no, but I think it is, again, it comes back to that sort of working class feeling of earning and having a trade and being yeah. sort of proud of where you're from. And I think a lot of theatre, I mean, definitely for me, I mean, I've, I grew up in Liverpool, I'm back in Liverpool now, but I've lived in Leeds and London and stuff. And it wasn't until I was a little bit older and I actually went to university that I started to be exposed to different types of theatre and stuff. I mean, I, I was very lucky. I um Actually, Chris uh, Fitter gave me my first ever little acting job with Theatre in the Rough when I was 17. The same year that I got that was the same year that I actually went to the theatre to see a straight play. That's 17 years of... I mean, obviously, you have panto and things like that, which I think is a much more working-class form of theatre because it is that interaction with the masses and comedy and that sort of seasonal traditional kinds of thing but yeah it is it is really hard to get into theatre when you when you're working class and then to kind of bring it back because it is occupied massively by people in London and people who come from a little more money and, and it is sort of seen as like a luxury and you know you were saying with Red Ladder taking the theatre around the, the working men's clubs and stuff I mean that's kind of you know what it should be about why should people have to keep coming to the big theatrical spaces why shouldn't it be theatre on the ground and yeah it's interesting because um, we had this particular show um, in a small village outside Pontefract and mm. it was a Wednesday afternoon and it was packed with 80 80 odd people in unemployed but also a lot of elderly people as well and they loved the show absolutely loved it and I said to this woman afterwards did you enjoy that she said yeah I said do you mind me asking have you got a car she goes yeah <laughs> I went you know you're a short driveway from Barnsley Civic Wakefield Theatre Royal Doncaster Cast she went oh no I don't like theatre <laughs> she just watched the play and, and giving it a standard ovation but it was all about that space that she knew was yeah. local to her and she had a drink in there and she'd been to bingo in there and stuff like that and walking in there and seeing it transformed into a theatre was just exciting for her but yeah. she didn't associate it with those theatres yeah. I mean I, I feel sorry for the theatre buildings really because how do you get that shift of yeah. attitude yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know really but we just thought well the best way to do it is to make work that we can take out there uh, without dumbing it down you know work that's kind of entertaining but also thought-provoking I think also, though, it's the arts. I think the arts are seen as owned by, well, for want of a better word, the ruling class, really. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like, Boff, who's this uh, singer-songwriter and writer that we work with, who used to be the lead singer with Chumbawamba, Mm. he's called Boff because he went to art college and his main sort of... They thought he was a bullpen and he just went to art college. That is typical of that sort of feeling that we've got, which I think is really sad. When I was a kid, I'm I'm quite old. Liverpool Everyman was was a bit of a falling down theatre, but it was run brilliantly and had a fantastic youth theatre. And I I went to that youth theatre. I used to take footy boots with me because I didn't want my mates to know I was going to youth (laughs) theatre. I wanted them to think I was going to footy practice. Yeah, yeah. loved it and it was full of working class kids it liberated us it really did you know well it's been it's been so lovely to chat to you Rod thank you so much for for giving us your time today Um, just before you go uh, can I just ask if you've got a message to send out to our listeners right now what what would that be I suppose my big message for me I tell you what's hanging over me is um, I 
kind of don't want us to go back to normal after mm. this because normal is what has brought us to this situation. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's an opportunity for us all to, A, value the NHS and value each other so much more. And I suppose this is one way of doing that, but I really don't want us to go back to the sort of materialistic treadmill that we've been on mm. that's caused all this i think i mean for me it's what's what's caused it and yeah people jumping on flights let's let's fly to prague for a, a stag weekend that's yeah. kind of stuff is just daft that's why i think that's why we've got the problems we've got so my big fear is this talk about going back to normal so my message is please <laughs> let's not yeah let's, <laughs> let's let's open our front doors not clap the nhs anymore clap each other yeah and you know get out of our silos which is what the media want us to stay yeah. in so i suppose that's my message yeah <laughs> well that's great thank you so much once again rod honestly you've been wonderful fake flowers in the living room their nylon petals and polythene leaves help to fill the emptiness i press my nose against the facsimile but get nothing of course i stare at the waterless vase no nourishment required no give and no take i tried a real plant once it died dragon trees are supposed to be hardy but they were too hard for me i think it was when i left it over christmas in frosty solitude i tried to help it when it started to go picked off the brown leaves but that made it shrivel up faster till I had to chuck it. Then you. You've introduced flora to their non-native habitat. Leaves spring from the pots that cover every surface. My living room's a jungle now, uncharted and uncertain, verdant and vertical, I stare up at the leafy canopy. You've told me which plants go by the window and which can stand the darkness, which to water every day and which can go without. I'm still learning, but I am learning. And I think these plants might survive. Right, hello everyone. Let's get right down to it as this is the last podcast and we've got a lot of things to cram in. First of all, I want to start off with the biggest shout out to Becky for putting on this podcast, bringing us all together and sharing her amazingness with us all. I don't know about you guys, but having a bit of Becky in my quarantine has made it a whole lot brighter. And this leads me on to what I want to focus on. What have we learned throughout this time? What have we realised fires us up to get out of bed in the morning? Or what have we realised we could actually really leave in the life before this? It's time for a new chapter What the hell? For some of you, why not start a new book? And I'm not going to pretend that this new phase isn't going to bring new challenges. But you know what? You can face this a hell of a lot stronger than you were before. Also, if anything, this whole thing has shown that most of us are really playing for the same team. With people stepping up for the NHS and key workers and clapping with people starting to smile again at each other and look them in the eye. And most of all, knowing that everyone has had to be in the exact same position, no matter who you are. So next time you feel intimidated or less than someone, I want you to know that they've had to isolate too. They're just human. They've had the exact scare as everyone else. I know it's crazy, but it puts us all back on the same level, no matter who we are. 
So there really is no need to feel intimidated or put people on pedestals. But seriously, if I could have anything, I would want everyone to go back into the world, to whatever you're going to face, knowing that you've got your own back. You've been sitting with yourself through some tremendous highs and lows and you've done it. So throw yourself a hell load of gratitude and respect and keep that with you for your next stage. And as the good saying goes, if you can't love yourself, then who can? I do want to thank everyone for listening to this from the bottom of my heart. You can find me on Instagram, Amelia G 100 if you still want to talk. I'm always there to share a bit of positivity. But if not, I just want everyone to know and to embrace their craziness within. Love your body, no matter the shape. Embrace your personality, no matter the volume. Dance with your whole body. Sing the wrong words and sing it loud. And know that you're ready for your next chapter with this new wisdom and fire that you've built within. Sweffen's Edge is created by Michael Parker and Kate Milner. It is a collaboration of musical and dramatic minds providing cinematic dreamscapes and sound design for TV, film, radio, gaming, audiobooks, drama and theatre. A collage of traditional acoustic instruments with electronics and field recordings, spoken word and sung melodies are used to explore and support visual imagery. This is their piece, Morning Calling. The Changing Room by Jack Ward. We open to a changing room of a typical retail shop. At the entrance is a sign. On it is a red hexagon with a hand sticking out straight and the word STOP 
It continues, please abide by our strict rules. Maximum of two customers in at one time. Please stand behind the marked line while waiting for the changing room. There are about 15 different rooms to get changed at the shop. In one, a woman can be heard trying stuff on. Her name is June. On the creamy beige couch, a middle-aged man is sitting down on his phone, wearing jeans, a top too tight around his beer belly, and a leather jacket. His name is George, and he is June's husband. Standing next to the number tags is a young man, a member of staff judging by his work tag he's wearing, assisting June. His name is Victor. So, June, dear, what is it that you're looking for? George's head springs up like a prairie dog sticking its head out of its burrow, his eyes darting at Victor. I mean clothes, George. Honestly. George's head returns back into its nest, his eyes squinting at Victor. Well, seeing how there aren't many clothes left, I'm trying to see what suits me best. Of course. When the lockdown got extended, people rioted and raided for all the clothes shops, meaning we had to make do with everyday utensils. Ooh, you haven't been to Anne Summers yet, have you? No, at least not yet. Mmm, probably best to avoid them, I'm afraid. They got hit the hardest, and they're really scraping at the bottom of the barrel. They released this new bra, made entirely of barbed wire. They call it the bra wire. It's a good idea on paper, but in execution... Well, it doesn't half chafe, June, I can tell you that much. Oh, Lord. Mmm, and let me tell you, they released a new thong. I won't tell you what it's made from, but I will tell you it begins with the word sand. George looks up slightly from his phone, his mouth wide open at the mere thought. June comes out wearing all bubble wrap in the style of a chongsome. Do you think this one's better? Me. You're not even looking, George. Oh, my. You, you can't go wearing that, June. I can see your nipples. Oh, no, George. That's just the bubbles of the bubble wrap. See? <laughs> oh, don't worry. We can not 10% off on any damages. But it's still not working for me. Yes, you got the whole disco ball vibe, and if you fall, you're certainly going to be protected. But what if you spill anything on it? I mean, anything stands out on white, so I can only imagine what it's going to stand out on transparent. No, I'm afraid. It's another no, June, honey. Back to the drawing board, yeah? Oh, and June! Sorry about bursting your bubble. Jack Ward is a 22-year-old actor graduating from Manchester Metropolitan University last year with a BA Ons in Contemporary Theatre Performance and a member of the National Youth Theatre. He enjoys writing and acting in his spare time. That concludes the final ever episode of Outside In Sunday Sessions. We'd just like to go out by saying the hugest of thank yous to every single person who has participated and contributed toward the making of this podcast. In particular, I'd like to take the time to thank our wonderful producer, Theatre in the Roughs, Chris Thittick, our incredibly patient and devoted editor, Willabel, my sister Steph for the harmonies on the jingles, and of course, our wonderful positivity guru, Amelia Glyden. We hope this podcast has brought a little of the outside in and lastly want to thank our fantastic listeners for tuning in each week. We'd like to dedicate this episode to Lauren Crawley who recently lost her beautiful daughter Alice. If you're listening, please keep her in your thoughts during this difficult time. Thank you and take care. Outside.